0: mitzvah monday we are back my name is darren winkler i am the producer of mitzvah joined of course by luke gazdek sn analyst future i don't know what you want to call him future hot take man
1: <laughs> future uh hockey analyst guy whatever you want to call me
0: But we got to talk some Leafs because there. To me, there is not a team that is more frustrating than the blue and white. And we've got our buddy Jake here with us, and he's a classic Leaf fan. Every year gets sucked in that this is the year, and I refuse uh, to believe that because for me, this team is exactly the same as they are like the last three years. We know what they are, and you know they'll put in like a period of hockey like they did in Sweden, and get you kind of fired up again, and then. You know, they'll throw a couple eggs at you, lose to Chicago. I mean, Luke, give me give me your take on this team.
1: So first and foremost, I agree with um, some of that, not all of it. Uh, Jake sitting over here, Jake Levinsky, best camera operator and editor in the game. He's just like my buddies that grew up here, like diehard Leaf fans, but are in it at the beginning of the season every year. I will wholeheartedly agree that they are probably, you know, the Oilers are a Very close second, we'll talk about them in a bit, but probably the most frustrating team to watch in terms of consistency, right? Their power play is outstanding. Um, So some nights you'll get the power play, some nights you'll get good goaltending, um, but you rarely just see them put it all together for a full 60, and that's what really good teams do in the NHL. I think with the Leafs, I mean, they go over to Sweden, and I think we were arguing about this, yeah, they didn't play incredibly well, but they got four points out of it. And that's really at the end of the day, all that matters is is the results. But um, it's
0: not. Like I want to see a consistent team blowing away teams. Like they should be Stanley Cup contenders and like they play a period here. They squeak out a couple of wins and you're happy <laughs> about Sweden. Like I'm not.
1: Yeah, and I get that. Listen, like one thing I've learned from being an analyst and like taking a step back and having to study and watch all 32 teams as opposed to just a couple and the Canadian ones is they're not in a really bad place here. Like Leaf fans have it really good. This is a really good hockey team. It could be much worse. You could be the Columbus Blue Jackets and have no prospects, you know, in terms of the way the season is looking. You could be the Ottawa Senators who are an absolute mess right now. Can't win a hockey game, right? Um, some really good young prospects, but they just can't seem to put it together. The Leafs' core is outstanding. They're fast. They're fun to watch. I think this team is a couple pieces or moves away from becoming that Stanley Cup contender. Uh, you, you can see that I'm, I'm saying this with a, <laughs> a little, little <laughs> bit is of a hesitation in, your in, in my <laughs> voice, but it's a really good hockey team just extremely frustrating to watch the inconsistent play I think especially a game like Vancouver like that last couple Saturdays ago versus Vancouver was the best game I think we'd seen them play all year from start to finish they were mean they played hard defensively like that was the Leafs team where I'm like wow this is a this is a hockey team.
0: I was at that game and I, I do agree with you about that that was a dominant dominant performance I absolutely loved geo standing up but why can't this team produce like that every game like what where do you see the flaws here as to why they can't consistently produce games like that is it they're just sick of of keith are they just stacked with two lines and it's hard to expect the bottom six to play like that every to me every- it
1: boils down to three things I would subcategorize it into coaching is one for sure. Uh, Like we talked about with Jay Woodcroft and the situation that happened with the Oilers, after a while, coaching can get really stale and the boys can just start tuning out the coach or the boss that's there. And I can kind of see that a little bit. I think Austin and Mitch, you know, not playing incredibly well right now, but still, you know, doing some good things out there. But they just don't look like they're on the same page. Second one I'll attribute that to is, Canadian markets, and as overblown as you think that is, I'm telling you, it makes a difference, man. Being under the microscope for every single shift and play that you make on the ice and having to read about it on Twitter and turn on your TV and see you getting ripped to shreds by the media, it takes a toll on you, man. It really does. And I know it's not an excuse. These are big boys, they're getting paid a lot of money to produce and perform, but. Being under the microscope like that all the time can really wear on you. And the third is straight mental. It's not physical. You guys, you, you know, these guys have the, the you know they have they have the tools to do it. It's about just putting it together up top and being there mentally in the grind for a full sixty. And that's just not what we're seeing from the buds right now.
0: I mean, I kind of like when what what Vancouver does with their top line, right? It's like Pedersen and then. It's Mikheyev, and it was Kuzmenko and now it's Lafferty. But I mean, we see scratches, right? We're seeing more scratches around the league. Line A and I just mentioned Kuzmenko who's who sat out for two games. Like Sheldon called out Marner a little bit recently. Like, is that something that you would consider? Like, what do you do to get these guys going the way that you want them to?
1: It's one of the biggest conundrums in hockey in terms of dealing with players because i think it's situational every player is different and that's where coaches and management really have to know the player i was talking about this on tv last week with line a. he is not a guy that is going to react well to something like that like being healthy scratch being benched you have to do everything in your power to make that the very last option there are some guys where great situation earlier in the year um Rick Talkett, hated how JT Miller took a couple minors in the second. He sat him down for the rest of the period, ripped him. They had a big boy conversation and they went out and JT Miller scored the game winning goal in the third period. There's some guys that react well to criticism and adversity. And there's some guys that don't. And the longer we go into this game, the younger the players get and the more sensitive they are. That's just the truth. So you have to be very careful with the way you treat your players, especially in calling them out publicly in the media. Um, which is a big mistake that I think a lot of coaches make. Um, but I, I really like the way Talk runs his lineups and his bench. If you're not going, you're not playing. He doesn't care if you're making $10 million. He doesn't care if you're making minimum. If you're playing well, you're going to be in the lineup and you're going to play. He also doesn't care about mixing up his lines. Like Sheldon has this thing with Austin and... Mitch and wanting them to play together all the time and I get that it's kind of like the McDavid Dreisaitl thing like that's probably your best option but if it's not working then stop being so stubborn and mix things up like put the lines in a blender if you have to try different combinations see what works and just go with something different don't be afraid to make changes to your lineup just because you think that something has worked in the past
0: Well, you always say it's a privilege to play in the National Hockey League. Um, And I feel like it's a privilege when Marner and Matthews, you know, play together. Like, I I would like to see that that line broken up If for nothing else to say, hey, guys, like, you want to play together? You got to kind of get going. But my next question for you is, is like, I want to put you on the hot seat and, you're the GM of this team, like you mentioned. They need a couple pieces. A couple pieces. They could be a Stanley Cup contender. What are those pieces?
1: Uh, I was not on board with the Nikita Zadorov thing early when it when the rumor started of him to Toronto, mostly because of the way he spoke and the trade request and how public it was. But my goodness, would he be good on the Leafs? I think they should take that LTIR money that they're probably going to get with Klingberg. Don't be adding Patrick Kane. You don't need offense. I would be throwing the kitchen sink at Craig Conroy and the Calgary Flames to get this guy on defense. He's big. He's mobile. He can shoot. He can score. He can hit. He can make plays. He has his flaws, and Calgary Flames fans will know that. If you watch the the Flames play hockey, he makes some big mistakes every now and then, but I think – the aggregate is better for him. The positives outweigh the negatives for Zadorov. That is a guy that I would be zoning in on. I think he turns your blue line upside down if you add him in there because they need
0: help on defense.
1: That's the bottom line. They need help on their back end, and I
0: think that would go a long way. Well, we saw what Shen did last year, right? Like, and he was more of a five-six, but by the end of it, he was – that presence put him up there with Morgan Riley, and he – dominated it like in the playoffs. Like for me, this blue line is majorly flawed. Um, you have Morgan Riley and then a bunch of other guys, I think. So for me it's at least zadorov plus, you know, yeah. Somebody else. I
1: think they start there. And you know how much we love Luke Shan. I'm a huge, huge Shanner guy. We had him on the pod and he's just one of one of the ultimate guys. I was so sad that they couldn't uh you know, work something out with him to get him back in Toronto, but they need someone like that on the blue line, someone that's going to play
0: physical and uh,
1: take control back there
0: for sure. Talking about pressure. I mean, I loved what, um, you know, Knobloch said in Edmonton when he's like, guys, we just got to play a little bit here. Like, let's not, you know, forget about this Thanksgiving business and you're not in the playoffs. Just, play. We, we have good players just play. it. I love the message that that sends like throughout the, the locker room.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's been great to watch him take over so far. You can just see the calming presence that he had. Um, I think you're starting to see a lot of differences between him and Woody and even me when he first got hired. I thought that they were both very similar coaches, but you're starting to witness his coaching style kind of come out and the way he talks to his team and the way he talks to the media, the way he rolls his lines, all that stuff. Um, and the players are, are really jumping on board and that's half the battle with the new coach is getting your players to buy in and sell them the vision that you're selling. And for him, it's, it's calmed down the locker room and you can kind of see they're starting to have fun again. And listen, you're not going to have fun if you're not winning, winning has everything to do with having fun, but he is kind of creating that culture where he's just letting the guys do their thing. And he has made some subtle coaching changes so far in terms of X's and O's. That was the biggest question that I was getting asked um, as an analyst is like, and a former player is, how long does it take for a new coach's system and stuff like that to really be reflective in their play? And it does take time. And then my answer was always a couple of weeks. And now you're starting to see it. Two examples I saw is the line juggling. People were like, oh, he's... Yeah, I thought he was going to have stability with the lines, and that was his thing, and he's mixing up all these lines. Well, guys, he's mixing up the lines because he wants to see what works. And you know what he found works? RNH, McDavid, Dreisaitl. And this line is the best combination of three that they've had all year. Versus Anaheim, they were an absolute force, like just clicking all over the ice. I know it's the Ducks, and they're not playing well, but it was the most dominant line in a game that I've seen this year from the Oil. And the, another thing, John Shannon touched on it in the intermission, and it was a great point because he had spoken to Knobloch in the morning about not wanting to move up the walls so much and use the middle of the ice more. And using the middle of the ice can be scary because it's where a lot of turnovers happen. But Woody did not like using the middle of the ice. He liked uh, rims on the wall to speed to chips and blowing the zone outside on the walls to speed. They had a play last night, where it was a set play off the D zone draw. It went to nurse and Nuge blows the zone as the left winger and does this kind of like cut pattern, almost like a football player, like a, like a zig. And he comes straight back to the middle of the ice. Nursey makes maybe the best pass I've seen him make of his career, maybe honestly. Um, But in a long time on, on a dime, Nuge goes in on a breakaway and buries, And that was a, very, very evident thing to me where that's coached, right? That was a set play. They knew they were going to do that. And it's, um, it's cool to see some of the stuff he's starting to, uh, to teach and, and coach, uh, in
0: their game now. What about Connor, man? I mean, the last four games looks like he's healthy again. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I'm, I'm a fan right now of of the Oilers and where they can go I mean the West the bottom of the West with the Kraken and the Coyotes it's it's not that good like it, it may not take that many points to get in yeah I, like I mean where are you at right now
1: uh, uh well in terms of Connor first and foremost he is playing like Connor again and I think he's getting better and better and listen something was obviously aggravating him but I I mean, I also said this too. Uh, I, I was asked this question a lot. What's wrong with Connor? What's wrong with Connor? And I said, man, you know what? It's a combination of, yeah, he's probably dealing with something, but guys slumped too. And he proved that he was human. A, he can get hurt and B, like everyone's going to go through a little bit of a, you know, a tough time. And I, I think that's what was happening. And you can see, especially last night, he is really starting to feel confident with the puck. It's so fun to watch, man. He has the puck on a string. Uh, he, he's getting back to what he knows, and he, the confidence is just beaming right now, and it's, it's, uh, it's really fun to watch. As long as they're going that way, the Oilers will continue trending upward, and I, I think the, you know, the sky's the limit for this team in terms of uh, playoffs and
0: stuff like that with the way their top dogs are playing. I mean, I don't think if it wasn't for that outdoor game, Connor probably would have had like the proper time off, in my opinion. He's just such a competitor. He, he wanted to be back. But I mean, man, watching him when he's at his the top of his game, it, it's 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 incredible. I mean, obviously, there, there, there's no one like it. And when you talk about the sky, the top of the sky and, and who's at the top right now, it's probably a, a surprising team that we would have to look at the L.A. Kings. Great transition, by the way. Was that nice? That was nice, eh? We call that a I'm learning more and
1: more about getting in and out in segments, and that was a phenomenal transition. Thank you. Listen, I'm not going to say this lightly. The LA Kings are the best team in the NHL right now. Uh, I think for a while it was Vegas on the way they were going. Boston, you can throw in there. I think goaltending was really masking a lot of their problems in Boston. The LA Kings are the most complete team in the National Hockey League. I played for Todd McClellan, and it's interesting The way he plays is kind of boring, not only to watch, but to play. He plays a very guarded 2-1-2 system. Um, Sorry, 1-2-2 system. Uh, It's a little bit more of a 2-1-2 in the offensive zone. They'll they'll press when there's mistakes, but they sit back and they wait for you to make mistakes. It's almost like the old Muhammad Ali rope-a-dope. They'll wait for you to make mistakes, and then they pounce. And their problem was, even when they pounced, and transition and stuff like that they couldn't score they didn't have a lot of offensive punch but they have tons of guys up and down the lineup that are giving them contributions from adrian campi to trevor moore to the emergence of quinton byfield he has arrived uh guys have been waiting years for for him to make that jump he looks really good kopitar looks like he's 21 years old again man like that guy's ageless like the ageless wonder And they're getting the goaltending. My old former teammate, Cam Talbot, is putting together a Vezina-type system, and it's interesting how goalies play in different systems too, right? He uh, did not excel in Ottawa, but in a way more defensive system where he's not going to get as many grade-A chances against and high-danger slot area chances and stuff like that. He's really uh, shutting the door back there. He's been outstanding, but... Todd has those guys going, and I'll just say this to, to end on the Kings. I would not want to play them in a seven-game series in the playoffs. It's looking like they are going to be uh, a force in the Western Conference uh, for the rest of the year.
0: And you know what? I, I kind of like what they did with Byfield and his development, right? Like, they brought him along slow. They let him sort of, you know, have his space and slowly moved him up the lineup. And, man, I mean, having a guy like that, like, up the middle for you, big, talented, and like you said like i feel like he's only getting better and better like what are you seeing from his game specifically that you that that's really standing out to you
1: yeah, well, first with him, I love that point on that um, on the American League stuff and the minors, right? Um, their uh, team is right down the road in Ontario. It's a short 45-minute drive. Management's there a lot watching and developing their, their uh, prospects. But why have the guy play in L.A. and not play him a lot and not play him special teams when he can play an hour down the road and play 20 to 25 minutes every night? I think the way they handled that was the pinnacle of how you should. Um, but phenomenal skater makes really, really good decisions out there, and his hockey sense and IQ is off the charts. He is always in the right spots. He can play center, play wing. Um, man, he, he's just really fun to watch right now.
0: Well, we might see another Kings, uh, Kings Oilers. That would be uh, an absolute treat if we saw that in the playoffs. And just to wrap up, Luke, you had a great tweet um, about Joey Moss. Um, for some of us who don't know him maybe, as well as you do, can you can you expand a bit more on um, on Joey? Yeah, so I told a quick
1: Joey story. Uh, obviously, the Ducks playing the Oilers last night, and every time I see those two teams play each other, I think of the story about when Anaheim came to town, and um, all guys would always come over, former teammates, and come over to say hi. That's how much Joey meant to guys in the dressing room. So, obviously, uh, very publicly, um, you know had down syndrome and worked for the team for over 30 years. He was a friend of Wayne Gretzky's back in the eighties, but, um, was one of the trainers, you know, folded towels, vacuum, you name it. Joey did it water bottles, but he was the funniest human being I've honestly ever come across. So smart, uh, always had a good chirp and it was just always good to sit down and have a chat with. And yeah, we had asked him, I said, Mosser, uh, Someone from the Ducks is coming over to say hi. And he said, Ducks? You used to play for the Oilers? And he said, yeah, who do you think that is? And he looked us dead in the eyes and said, Todd Marchant. And we just started dying laughing just because it was such a smart answer. But it was just like 15 years before that, you know? And I mean, I'll just never forget that. He was one of a kind. Um, he, uh, he made my time in Edmonton just... So much better than I i think it, it would have been without him. He always put a smile on my face every day, no matter what mood I was in or how the team was playing. I always enjoyed sitting down and having breakfast with Joe, having a coffee, and uh shooting the breeze. And I'm glad I could share that story and hopefully many, many more because he was uh one of a kind.
0: Oh, that's a great story. And I love to hear those behind the scenes kind of gems. And you get to know really the people of the game. So um, we're going to get to know. Ben Sherratt this week, um, on the podcast as we'll be releasing that and big plans for December as well. So, um, good catch up again and, um, yeah, we'll see what we've got coming up. hundred
1: percent. I think everyone's really going to like Benny Sherat uh, great dude, great person, great interview and, um, excited for some more, uh, hockey talk coming.